today on Ag News Daily. Having uh, having a planter or a sprayer or a spreader operate by itself, moving up and down the field while the uh, the, the farmer does other things is just it's just natural. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here, co-host of the Ag News Daily podcast, joined by Ms. Delaney Howell. And Delaney, how are you doing today? I am doing pretty good, Mike. It seems seen a lot of folks getting out in the field, but uh, there might be some snow in the forecast this week. Oh my gosh, how crazy is that? I just I saw an updated forecast. It looks like East Central North Dakota is going to get a 70% chance of at least four inches. And uh, I've seen a lot of weather reports floating around, and I know the models are still kind of locking in on what this thing's going to do. But upwards of a foot of snow plus strong winds across somewhere in the Dakotas or Minnesota. Yeah, and so I saw also a report that was on the upper plains like you said are getting quite a bit of snow but even parts of western iowa northeastern iowa could get up to half an inch of snow this weekend ew yeah gosh and even if you know a half inch of snow i'm sure most of the crops still standing in the field can handle a half inch a foot's a different story but that's going to slow down harvest even more than we already are i know for sure i'm not sure where is bemiji Bemidji, 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 Minnesota, Bemidji, Minnesota. Oh, they're supposed to get upwards of two feet of snow. Ugh. Yeah. But you know, like we were saying, these models aren't uh, locked in yet. I've seen a lot of conflicting information. I think all we can say with certainty is that there is going to be snow and strong winds and rain and crap weather across the northern Great Plains, Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Michigan. Absolutely. And because we've seen such an unusual season this year, I wanted to chat through our USDA weekly crop progress report because I think it had some shocking numbers in it. Mike, did you see this? I did, but why don't you, I don't have the numbers in front of me, so why don't you lay them out on the line for us? So as of Sunday, 58% of the corn was estimated as mature, but usually for this time of year, we are 27 percentage points higher at about 85% mature. Mm-hmm. As far as the crop goes, um, North Dakota's corn crop is just 22% mature compared to a 75% maturity on average. And nationwide, for corn harvested or corn harvest progress, for Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa, South Dakota, and Michigan, they're all just about 1% to 4% harvested. Nationwide, we only expanded another four percentage points to reach about 15% of our corn crop harvested as of Sunday. I thought that was absolutely crazy. It is crazy. And the trade knew that we were going to have a slower than average harvest pace, obviously, between all of the rainfall Mm -hmm. that's happened across the Corn Belt. But the trade's expectations were we'd be at 19% harvested. And the fact that it only came in at 15, plus this storm coming on the horizon, we finally saw some movement in the corn and bean markets where finally it looks like pricing in a little bit of a weather premium. Absolutely. And so then when you look at the soybean harvest, that had a little bit more of a significant jump, about seven percentage points higher than last week to reach 14% harvested, which usually for this time of year, we're about 34% harvested. So 20 Mm. percentage points behind our five-year average with Iowa, Kansas, Missouri, and Wisconsin at the slowest pace that they've seen in quite some time. 
Wow. Yeah, it is it is distressing to a lot of growers who are going to be pushing those combines later than they maybe ever have, or at least yeah. certainly have in quite a few years. Absolutely. Oh, boy. Well, you know, that means a lot of folks' tensions on the farm are running high as they try to get their crop in. But Delaney, tensions are also running high in Washington, D.C. Did you hear this news about D.C., the Trump administration, locking out several um, Chinese artificial intelligence startups? Basically, they added them to a blacklist Mm. that says they cannot buy anything from the United States without government approval, which basically means they're not going to be buying anything from the U.S. And that was announced today, of course, while the Chinese-U.S. trade discussions are going on. And so then the government in Beijing came back out and said, stay tuned, we will retaliate. But they didn't give any indications as to how exactly they're going to retaliate. So all of a sudden, we went from having a fairly positive-looking trade negotiation discussion, chit-chat happening this week to one with a lot of animosity between the uh, the Trump administration and uh, President uh, uh, Xi of China. Well, at least in other good news, we've got the U.S.-Japanese trade agreement officially signed as of yesterday. I believe the next steps now is Japan's basically equality or equal to Congress that portion of their administration has to ratify it. I believe our Congress also has to ratify that agreement, although I'm not 100% positive on that, but we do have that formalized in place, at least those pieces that we've discussed on the podcast before. Yes. And of course, the big winners here are going to be protein producers. We're going to see the tariffs on U.S. beef and pork and sweet corn and lactose and cranberries and blueberries and almonds and grain sorghum and food supplements and broccoli and prunes, all of the tariffs on those products are going to begin dropping. Some of them immediately, some of them like beef and pork are is set to stage out over several years, but eventually this puts us on track to have the same tariff rates as those countries still in the CPTPP or the Trans-Pacific Partnership. And um, that's great news. That is great news. Gives a positive sentiment to the markets, if nothing else. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that was something that we needed to hear today. And it's kind of come together in a perfect storm. And I know you'll hit the markets a little bit later on, so I won't dwell on them. But uh, yeah, things are running today, Delaney. Things are running indeed, Mike. I've got one other news story here, and this is, again, coming from President Donald Trump. He was at a press conference yesterday on Monday, and uh, he was asked about the RFS proposal. He was asked about what the EPA announced with regard to their rolling these exempted uh, gallons back into the RFS and the RVO. And he said, quote, we've come to an agreement, and it's going to be, I guess, about getting close to $16 billion gallons. He says, that's a lot of gallons, so they should like me out in Iowa. Now, there's still a lot of discussion about whether or not the EPA will push us over that 15 billion gallon of ethanol, corn-based ethanol, you know, the statutory limit. But, uh, you know, President Trump says we're going to add another billion gallons to to the law, and we'll see if that actually happens. Yeah, I'm curious to see how fast that actually gets added in, if it does get added in at all. Right. Right. I mean, the idea is in 2020, we'll know, but, you know, that's still 2020. That's still a ways away. Absolutely. 
Another thing that's kind of a little ways away, but definitely something that's on the radar of the Trump administration is where we're at with biotechnology regulations. Yesterday, there was an all-day summit held in Washington, D.C. to draw attention to those matters, such as, I guess, one thing that comes to mind is the CRISPR technology that we've talked about on the podcast before. And so this conference brought together both administration folks, business leaders, and scientists to discuss what regulations are standing in the way of biotech innovations and how and what the government can do to help spur new advances. So mm, Interesting. Yes. So uh, Deputy Ag Secretary Steve Sensky told the more than 100 folks involved at the conference that the USDA has clearly tried to change the paradigm with the proposed revisions to its biotech regulations, but it seems we've not seen a lot of changes happen so far. No, we haven't. We certainly haven't, Lenny. That is correct. Yes. So I guess it's something that's on the radar of USDA, but I guess one thing to note is if President Trump doesn't get reelected, I think we kind of start back over from ground zero if we get a new president in office. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's one of those things that's not, you know, congressional, so the next administration can kind of do whatever they want. All right. Well, Delaney, I tell you what, I am all out of news. Should we just uh, jump into the markets? Let's do it, Mike. All right. Well, looking across our grains for today, it looks like we did get a reaction to the potential for wet weather and snow this weekend, as well as potentially reacting to the USDA reports from yesterday. The December corn contract added eight and three quarters cents today to close at three ninety-five and three quarters, while the March broke above four dollars to close seven and a half cents higher at four oh six and a half. In the soybean pits, the strength continues with the November soybean contract adding five and a quarter cent to close at nine twenty and a half. The January put on five and three quarters cents to close at nine thirty-five and a quarter. In the wheat pit, big gains today with the December contract putting on eleven cents at five dollars even. The March up eleven and a quarter to close at five oh seven and three quarters. Hopping over to look at the livestock pits for today. Weakness in the live cattle contract as the October contract cut seven cents to end at one oh eight seventeen. The December shedding thirty five cents at one ten eighty five. In the feeder cattle pits, Green across the screen as the October contract added thirty two and a half cents to close at one forty two oh two and a half, the November up thirty two and a half as well, to end at one forty one twenty five. In the lean hog pits, recovering from some of yesterday's losses with the October contract up a dollar twenty to close at sixty one seventy, the December up the limit up expanded limit today at three fifteen to close at sixty seven forty. And rounding out our markets with the Class 3 Dairy Futures, October added $0.14 cents to close at 18.62, the November up $0.23 cents to close at 18.44. Now before we get to today's Tech Tuesday conversation, let's hear a quick word from our sponsors at HTS Ag. Well, of course, today is Tech Tuesday, and it is sponsored by our partners over at HTS Ag. To share a little bit more about HTS Ag and some of the projects they're working on, I've got Adam Gittens, who is the general manager. And Adam, this year was quite the unusual planting year. We had a lot of inclement weather. Now we're looking at the crops, and they're looking very varied. How does HTS Ag help with some of those problems that producers have been facing this year? 
Delaney, one of the tools in our toolbox is an active hydraulic downforce system. Now what this can do in a challenging year is help overcome some of those challenges, whether it be uh, compacted soils, wet soils, whatever the challenge may be, being able to measure and adjust to place the correct amount of downforce on each row at the given time throughout the field, whether you're going from tilled ground to no-till ground, whether you're going from different soil types, whatever that challenge may be, we can take 200 readings per second and adjust that on the go to always maintain the right depth and not over-apply downforce causing excessive compaction. This has been proven year after year to give a more even stand and give the crop a much better start. Well, producers certainly are facing inclement weather and have been and conti will continue to face that. Folks, for more information about the hydraulic downforce and how you can use it in your operation, head to www.htsag.com. Well, for today's Tech Tuesday, I'm very excited. We're talking to a well-known Twitter superstar, Rob Syke, who is the CEO of Dot Technology Corporation. Rob, first of all, thanks so much for joining us today. Hey, great to be on the show. Rob, tell me a little bit about the company that you're running there, which is Dot Technology Corporation, and what you guys do in the agricultural autonomy space. Yeah, thank you. A dot is uh, right now the largest commercially available autonomous robotic platform available for broad acre agriculture, and that's quite a mouthful. And what I'm saying here is that we've got a large U-shaped uh, frame with 173 horsepower Tier 4 Cummins engine that's capable of coupling or connecting with a variety of implements to provide farmers with 100% autonomous broad acre agriculture. And uh, so that's really the space that we're occupying right now. Well, let's talk a little bit about the history of DOT because I've been watching this for a few years and it's been incredible to see it go from prototype to production. Tell us what was the, uh, what was the mindset behind creating this technology and where do you see it going from here? Well, the uh, inventor of uh, DOT is Norbert uh, Bojo. And Norbert is a farmer, an agricultural engineer, and entrepreneur. He founded the Seedmaster Company. So he's been in agricultural machinery production for a long time and, uh, you know, produced air seeders as big as 120 feet and was giving a lot of thought to how much bigger can we go. And then it was maybe we should go smaller. And if we go smaller, maybe we should go smaller without a, without a tractor. And so that led him to uh, the uh, prototype of DOT. And Dodd is named, interestingly enough, after his mother, his mother, Dorothy Dot. She raised nine children, so she was a multitasker, and they thought that Dot would be a perfect name for the, uh, for the U-shaped platform that uh, has been developed. Huh, that is really interesting. So it sounds like it's been a company that's been a long time in the making. As you look at the acceptance of technology in agriculture, it seems like a lot of times producers are a little hesitant to maybe accept, accept some new technology, especially when it comes to things like autonomy. Rob, when you look at, at where we're at in kind of that innovation acceptance period, what do you see as far as autonomous agriculture going? Well, it's, it's really fairly, it's fairly inevitable. I mean, all around us, there are people working on all kinds of autonomous technology, be it uh, in cars or trucks. 
it's only natural that we should be looking at them in in farming. But uh, the pressure points that are going to move us in this direction are are significant. Right now, one of the biggest uh, pressure points on farms today is labor. So we have um, we have labor constraints on most farming operations, and uh, simply cannot find enough qualified operators. So having uh, having a planter or a sprayer or a spreader operate by itself, moving up and down the field while the uh, the the farmer does other things is just it's just natural. The second thing is the cost of of equipment. You're you're talking here about equipment that is is very expensive. You take a high high clearance sprayer right now. A high clearance sprayer runs six seventy five right now, or six seventy five or more, and that sprayer is, uh, um, you know, it has to be powered by a, a person. And if you take our dot unit, that that same dot unit, that's six seventy five Canadian. If you take that same dot unit, it's like uh, five hundred thirty thousand Canadian. So we've got a cost advantage, and then we've got a weight saving advantage as well because we're lighter. So there's a lot moving in our direction right now. Absolutely. And you hit on some of the huge advantages there. The idea that autonomy can reduce the amount of labor required, the, the butts in the seats, so to speak, to run this machinery. What type of requirement is there when it comes to labor and running autonomous equipment? Because you've still got to set up the, the paths. You've got to monitor the electronics. T- tell us, what would a farmer running a dot piece of equipment need to do in order to make sure it's running effectively? This is an interesting question because it it speaks to the type of individuals that are going to be attracted to agriculture. Putting somebody in a in a in a tractor cab for 12 hours a day with auto steer, where they basically don't do anything except monitor the equipment and and provide assistance during the nursing operations. After a while, that gets to be a pretty long day. Um, on the other hand, when you're talking about running a, a fleet of autonomous dock units in the field. Um, the uh, the skill set is entirely different. We need people that are systems integrators. We need young people that can work with shape files, that can do boundary mapping, that know how to uh, deal with uh, uh, issues such as the programming and path planning for dot in the field. And uh, and can you imagine you have uh, three or four dots working simultaneously in one field or in several fields and the operators making sure that these things are all working and nursing all of these units, but not in the units themselves. So it really does provide an opportunity for scaling economies of scale because you take one bright brain and that bright brain can be running two, three uh, units at the same time. So I want to talk a little bit more, Rob, about how DOT works. I have the the website pulled up, seedtorun.com. And so you mentioned it's a U-shaped frame, but does dot? How does dot work then with equipment? And can it work with any sort of equipment? Is it, um, I guess, isolated to work specifically with sprayer technology? If I wanted to implement this on my farm, how does that happen? Well, the yeah, the the website s e e d o t run c dot run, uh, like c spot run c dot run. So uh, you go there and you can see it's a U-shaped device and it's a U-shaped device that uh, is uh, powered like a diesel motor and four hydrostatic uh, wheels. And those uh, that U-shaped device slides into uh, or connects to a dot-ready implement. So we're working with uh, short-line manufacturers to make implements that are dot-ready. 
So currently we have a, a 30 foot, 300 bushel air seeder uh, that's made by Seedmaster. We have a 120 foot um, state of the art, uh, 1600 gallon sprayer that's manufactured by Patterson uh, Connect Systems. We've got New Leader, which is a US based company, provided us with a dot ready um, 16 section variable rate precision fertilizer spreader. We showcased a prototype of a 12 row corn planter in Ontario. Uh, in the month of uh, September at the Outdoor Farm Show. Uh, we've got um, a grain cart, and uh, we're going to be unveiling a coulter system for it. So we, we anticipate that we're going to be having lots of conversations with all kinds of short-line manufacturers because we truly provide them with a path to autonomy. We give them a way to enter the autonomous robotic space uh, because DOT makes that all happen. So let's talk about how many dots are out there running in the field today. How long have you guys been in commercial production, and how many do you have out there? The first prototype came out in 2017, 2018, in conjunction with the University of Arizona Maricopa Research Facility. We did a lot of testing in 2018. Uh, 2019 saw us go commercial, selling dots in the field, uh, working with farmers. We had about a half dozen or so dots in the field this year, seeded about 5,300 acres and sprayed between 12 and 15,000, which doesn't sound like much, but in the world of autonomy, that is the biggest in the world by far. And uh, now we're fully commercial. So our plan is to have another 10 to 12 dots operating in the field uh, with farmers this spring. And uh, then we roll into larger scale production where we're producing three to four dots uh, a month kind of thing and then and scaling up from there. So we, uh, we anticipate uh, a fleet of somewhere around 12 to 15 dots in the field for the spring, and it'll scale up from there. Now, I do have a quick follow-up for you. When we think about adopting new technologies, one of the big concerns I hear from growers is, how am I going to get help if I get stumped by something out in the field? What does the service look like for DOT as a company as you guys are commercializing? Well, the, the service components are right now, I mean, we, 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 are, uh, we are scaling up with uh, DOT uh, service technicians to be available to help the farmer. Mechanically, DOT isn't that complicated. It's, like I said, diesel engine, hydrostatic drives. Uh, the, the real support has to come to software support. A lot of that could be done remotely. But you hit the nail on the head, and that is that we need the, um, the post-secondary agricultural institutions, the land-grant colleges, the colleges, the universities, to be gearing up. I live in Olds, Alberta, and Olds College here is launching a brand-new program starting next fall called the Techronomist Program, where they're marrying agronomy with technology, and uh, that'll produce uh, students, that'll produce uh, young people that will be capable of running autonomous fleets of equipment and that's a real big shift that needs to happen in our industry. And I, I hope that enough post-secondary institutions wake up and uh, start building curriculum around autonomy because the farmers are going to be looking for it. And it's going to be a great career path, a great career choice for young people. Absolutely. Absolutely that it is. Rob, I want to also ask here just briefly before we let you go about your Advisor Pro that's also linked to your Twitter account. Tell us a little bit about that platform and how agriculturalists can use that on their operations yeah after we after i sold uh agritrend and agridata to trimble 
and wrap that up, I was thinking about the next iteration of, of advice, advisory services to farmers and uh, came up with an Uberize, Uber, Uber concept. An AgVisor Pro is the Uberization of knowledge and wisdom. So I began to work on that project over a year ago. Basically, what we do is we have farmers that have questions and then we have advisors that have specific knowledge that can help provide answers now. So it's AgVisor Pro answers now. The farmer will query in his question, and we triage that using an algorithm that basically provides instantaneous connectivity between the, uh, the farmer and the advisor, or between farmers, or between advisors. So um, they basically, we match them up using our algorithm and then uh, you hit a button and it provides instantaneous audio, video, screen sharing, picture capture. So if I have a bug in the field, don't know what it is, I can hit bug, corn, question mark, and we can connect them instantaneously to an entomologist. The farmer can show the guy the bug in real time. The whole session is archived for the farmer for future reference. And uh, we launched that in July. So we went to the marketplace uh, in July and have brought that forward. And it really is a global platform. So um, I had, I'd been challenged to uh, create something like a moonshot, an idea that could help farmers anywhere on the planet. And AgVisor Pro will certainly do that. And yeah, and I write, I write about it. I write, write about DOT and AgVisor Pro and all of this, these iterations and uh, the, the movement of agriculture in the book I just released in August called Food 5.0, How We Feed the Future. So that's available if people want to follow what it is we're doing. Incredible. Rob, give our listeners an update. How can they follow you? And one more time, where can they find DOT and the rest of the information we've talked about today? Right. Uh, well, I'm happy to have people follow me on Twitter. Primarily, it's a good feed for me, at R-S-A-I-K, at R. S-A-I-K, on Twitter. That'd be great. So I'd welcome people following me. Uh, S-E-E-D-O-T, run, C-dot-run is where they can find dot. AgVisor Pro uh, is self-explanatory. A-G-Visor, P-R-O, agvisorpro.com. We'd love to have farmers and advisors sign up there. And the book, Food 5.0, How We Feed the Future, is available on Amazon. It's done very well. So I welcome people to buy the book. For the listeners, the book Food 5.0 really talks about uh, farmers of consequence, uh, people that are really making a living by farming. And the book, in fact, was written for the urban audience. So they can buy it, read it, and then hand it to a city cousin. Well, Rob, we certainly appreciate your time today. Thanks so much for joining us. Oh, I'm delighted. Uh, and. Uh, Let's, uh, let's hope we have a long, open fall to get this crop off. All right. Well, a big thanks to Rob Sake for taking the time to talk to us. Fascinating technology. It, the, the future of agriculture, Delaney, is, is mind-blowing. It is. It's so mind-blowing to think about all these new and interesting technologies and to think that maybe in 5, 10, 15 years, we won't really need as many people on the farm to make things run. Right. I mean, that's that's exactly the way it's going to go. It's going to be crazy. 
Absolutely. But I tell you what, it's also crazy that we have a fantastic podcast that gets put out every single day to update folks on what is going on in the world of agriculture. And if our listeners want to get caught up on past episodes, they should do so by going to our website at agnewsdaily.com or always follow us on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search for Ag News Daily. And as if by magic, we shall appear. With that, Delaney, should we let the listeners go? Let's let them go.